What would your life look like if you felt confident in your body and in your health habits? We believe that confidence is possible for all people. This is the Free Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Dylan Murphy, registered dietitian and owner of Free Method Nutrition. We are dedicated to empowering women to make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. Come hang with us each week as we have conversations that will inspire you to live a life of freedom. Let's dive into today's show. Welcome back to another episode of Free Method Podcast. Today, I am joined by Isabel Garza, who is a registered dietitian and women's health specialist. So Isabel, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. So to start, I would love to hear just a little more about what you do and just kind of, yeah, the work you do as a dietitian and women's health specialist. Yeah, of course. So like uh, Dylan introduced, I'm uh, Isla Garza. I'm a registered dietitian and a women's health specialist. And I help women who have period problems, um, hormone imbalances, like with PCOS, to really balance their hormones without having to use restrictive diets or cut out all the foods they love. Um, I actually started my dietetic career similar to where you are, Dylan, um, mm-hmm. working in the intuitive eating world. Um, I started in a mental health agency where we really mm-hmm. focused on treating eating disorders. Um, and then I would say my transition to really focusing on hormone health has a professional story and a personal mm-hmm. story. Professionally, I think I just saw a lot of hormone dysfunction in the eating disorder world, missing yeah. periods, painful periods, um, mm-hmm. all kinds of things, hormonal symptoms like hair loss, um, acne, mm-hmm. mood swings. And personally, I was also experiencing a lot of that in college mm-hmm. as well. So there was kind of this uh, combination of what I was seeing with my clients, as well as what I had experienced in my history. And it just led me down this road of discovering kind of this two-way street, right? Of Mm. how we think about food, how we approach food and how our body responds to that and how Mm. those signs and symptoms can show up physically, but also show up in the ways that we feel in the ways that we Mm -hmm. think about food. Um, So that's kind of the short of it, but uh, that's what I I bring to the table, kind of this marriage of the the kind of behind the curtain stuff with food, the way we think and feel about food, as well as the physiological side. Yeah, which I feel like is so needed because I, I feel like there's so many hormone experts and maybe even like air quotes, hormone experts out there who probably also do a lot of harm or maybe don't have that kind of foundational knowledge of like eating disorders or intuitive eating. Um, and not that everyone needs to have like worked in that space, but even just the like baseline knowledge of like, okay, how do I not cause harm? while also helping people balance their hormones. Because you're so right. I mean, we see it with so many of our clients, missing periods, hair loss, kind of all the above. And I think it's balancing like, okay, is it just like we need to eat more and then that's going to help? Or is there other things going on, which I could see that's where someone like you can be so helpful too, to see like, okay, yes, you probably need to eat more. And there also might be other things at play as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's very affirming for clients as well. Um, I work with a lot of clients who have done kind of the eating disorder traditional treatment, Mm -hmm. and a lot of it is psychological, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to heal the relationship with food, trying to eat enough. 
but still experiencing a lot of those symptoms. And I think the aspect and perspective of hormone health just gives them more language to better understand their bodies and just offer more clarity towards mm. what they're experiencing rather than feel like they're doing it wrong or they're not mm. doing the quotes intuitive eating right, right? Totally. I think there can be a lot of shame and guilt around that. And and mm. I just kind of have that conversation like, hey, it's it's mm. not all on you. There's just more to it. It's more complex yeah. than that. And, and let's kind of add more color to your story. Mm. Absolutely. And so when you say like helping people balance their hormones. What does that mean? Because I think that's also probably something we see like thrown around and all these supplements here and there of like, take this and it's going to balance your hormones. Um, Yeah, I guess first, like what does that actually mean to balance hormones? Mm -hmm. To understand hormones, you really have to understand the body, right? Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. just this number on a sheet of paper, some labs Mm -hmm. that are being run. It's really understanding what hormones are. And Mm -hmm. um, in short, the hormones are just these signaling pathways in our body. They're means of communication, how Mm -hmm. our body takes on the external environment, internal environment, stressors, right? It's this this kind of two-way communication pathway. And so what happens is we um, kind of navigating this world, right? Whether it's with food or stress or lifestyle, and our body has kind of a certain limit of resources. Mm -hmm. And if we're not tending to that resource because either we're not eating enough, um, whether in quantity or quality, um, or we're expending a lot, whether it's through Mm -hmm. exercise or stress, our body tries to keep things in balance, right? It tries Mm -hmm. to compensate. And that's what hormone imbalances really are. It's this response, this compensatory response in our body to try to keep things in balance. So let's Mm -hmm. say you aren't eating enough or you're expending a lot of stress or expending a lot of energy through exercise, the body tries to deal with that. And so Mm -hmm. it can only allocate resources to certain systems. So, okay, maybe it says, all right, we don't have enough resources to go into ovulating every month. We don't have enough resources to really support hair growth, skin growth, gut health. And so it starts allocating those resources to your stress hormones, right? Mm -hmm. That adrenaline response. And so people start seeing a lot of these symptoms thinking, oh my gosh, look at all these problems that I have, but really they're just a message, right? As as Mm -hmm. uncomfortable as they are, it's the body saying, Hey, we're doing our best to try to keep everything together, but we only have limited resources. So that's really where I come in to help women make sure they're replenishing their resources. Mm -hmm. But also if a lot of those resources are going out due to high stress, high intensity exercise, we lower that output so that the Mm -hmm. body can get back in balance and the hormones don't have to continue to compensate. Mm, Which I'm sure is so hard. I know I have so many conversations about this with clients where we think about exercise and stress reduction, because I think it's also, we hear a lot like, oh, exercise helps reduce stress, which yes, I think there's elements of that that are true, but I think that's looking at just like the universal human experience instead of looking at like each individual person. We're like, okay, but if your body's already in this really like hyper stress state, and then you're going to, let's say orange theory five days a week, that's only sending your stress hormones more and more through the roof. Um, so yeah, what would that look like if you have someone come to you who's like, my stress is high, I'm working out a lot, probably hand in hand with that, not eating enough. <laughs> um, yeah, how do you help them navigate that when it's also like, okay, but society tells me exercise helps reduce stress. 
So then why would I stop that to like reduce, to try and reduce my stress? Mm -hmm. Such a good point. And I think it's so important to go back to the individual, right? Because these broad statements that society shares or social media shares is just not customized to an individual's experience, their individual hormones, their individual relationship with food and with exercise. So in the case of exercise, you're, you're so right. Exercise is a stressor. And the only reason it's beneficial is because our body can recover from that stressor. Mm. So if you think about not just exercise, but any stressor in our life, right? When we overcome it, that's actually what leads to the benefit, right? When you're like mm. trying to, I don't know, take an exam, when you yeah. are able to learn that information, overcome that stressor, then amazing. You are growing, evolving, you know, mm. expanding your knowledge. So in the case of exercise, right, it's this physical stressor, but a lot of women aren't able to recover mm. because they are under a lot of other stressors. So whether it is nutrient deficiencies, whether it is mental and emotional, psychological stressors, right, their stress bucket is full. That's kind of the picture mm. that I like to paint. Yeah. And so if your stress bucket is full, then adding an additional stressor of exercise may not actually be beneficial. Now, I always tell my clients, you know, especially clients who really enjoy exercise and want to exercise, or they're like athletes and love training for things. I think telling them that, Hey, exercise may not serve them. Well, yes, makes sense logically, but mentally and emotionally can be really challenging. And so I always say, Hey, we just need to respect this phase of healing. It doesn't mean that you can never exercise again, but what your body is telling us right now, at least in this stage, is that it's not serving you. And mm-hmm. so the better we can support the body, the better you can enjoy the things that you love again. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing, yes or no mm-hmm. approach. Totally. And I know that can be so hard and can kind of almost sound counterintuitive too, because it's like, okay, if I'm stopping exercise or reducing it, but then that, because let's say maybe they also have like, body image things to work on or just living in the society um, where then it's like, okay, well, if I stop exercise, that's also going to increase my stress. It can probably kind of feel like this double-edged sword of like, okay, I'm trying to balance my hormones. I'm trying to reduce my stress, but by cutting back on things that like increases my stress in other areas, like kind of gives me the visualization of like the whack-a-mole of like, okay, well, I'm like trying to like tackle this mole, but then like something else pops up. Um, and I think that's again, why looking at like the individual is so important because some people may be able to reduce exercise and it isn't that big of a deal. And they know like, okay, I'll be able to get that back eventually. I know this is my best interest, but then for other people, it can be like a really hard, stressful thing to do. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's so important, even in that conversation to kind of step back and and see like what the nervous system is saying as well. I talk a lot about the nervous system when we talk about hormone health. And because if you're really used to say high intensity, whether that's with the way that you approach work or life or exercise, Mm -hmm. slowing down will feel uncomfortable for your nervous system, right? The nervous system has basically recalibrated and said, in telling you that fight or flight, right? That, you know, high intensity, like you said, orange theory feels safe. And we know it's not, right? Because the hormones are telling us, hey, this isn't working for us. Mm -hmm. But if that has been kind of your status quo, your baseline for a long time, it's going to feel dangerous to slow down, Mm -hmm. to do a slower form of exercise, to engage in yoga, 
that's going to actually, I, I see this a lot with my clients actually ramp up their nervous system and they feel stressed doing something yeah. that should be calming. And mm-hmm. so I think even setting that expectation that, Hey, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to feel different, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's wrong or that mm-hmm. it's bad for you. It just means that it's, it's different mm-hmm. and difference actually what's going to help you heal. Yeah. And that's such a good point. Cause it probably will feel uncomfortable. I mean, even thinking about the example of like going from something like orange theory to like slow flow yoga is so different. And your body's probably like, what in the world is happening? Like I'm used to this, like high heart rate, burning a lot of like calories, sweating a lot. And now I'm doing these like slow stretching movements. But I like what you said of kind of like pushing into that because that's where you probably need to be moving towards. Um, and then who knows, it may be as you assess your relationship with movement, maybe you add back in orange theory or those type of things, but on like a, okay, maybe I only need to go like once or twice a week instead of like five days a week or spinning class or whatever, you know, the exercise maybe. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And people can actually sense that. Like when we, mm. when we give women the permission to honor their bodies and tune into their bodies and respect their bodies rather than override, right? Every Mm. symptom and cue and sensation that they're experiencing. So many women will tell me, oh my gosh, that actually felt so good. Like it was really hard for me to go to that yoga class, but man, that actually felt really good. Or when Mm -hmm. they're say getting back into high intensity exercise, wow, I didn't realize how much one orange theory as the example, right? Session really took it out and I needed to recover the next day. Mm. But again, we can get so caught up in that experience of just like numbing Mm -hmm. out and pushing through that we're not even sensing kind of those signals that are very loud and and clear if we're willing to listen. Yeah, totally. I'm curious too, because I think on this topic of balancing hormones, I see just random like supplements and shakes and this and that, that like, are apparently going to help balance our hormones. Um, And I'm curious if you ever have clients or even just random people be like, should I take this? What should I do to balance my hormones? And, you know, I think a lot of it's like, we're all searching for this like quick fix. I'm curious how you navigate that. And maybe too, for people listening, like, cause sure, there may be times where people need to add in some sort of supplement or, or things like that. It's not to say supplements are, you know, the worst thing in the world, but I think helping people recognize like, when is that more of like a quick fix band-aid, really good marketing from that company versus like something that sure might actually help benefit my overall hormonal health? Mm. I love that question because gosh, I, I get marketed oh my gosh, hormone yeah. balancing supplements <laughs> yes. because I'm in that world. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say, any supplement that brands itself as like hormone balance whatever mm-hmm. is not going to balance your hormones, mm-hmm. right? Unless it just so happened by chance that you and your hormone profile happens to be mm-hmm. the exact fit for <laughs> that supplement. And that's just, you know, a, a total toss up. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of those hormone balancing in quote supplements are just kind of a random compilation of supplements that can potentially help certain hormone imbalances or hormone mm-hmm. dysfunctions, but gosh, the, the word hormone balance is just an umbrella term for so mm-hmm. many different, uh, compensatory mechanisms, right? Like we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier that can happen in someone. It can be high estrogen, low estrogen, low progesterone, high cortisol, low cortisol. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many different 
combinations that women can experience. So for one, I would say just be careful of marketing and branding. I know branding, I'm such a visual person sometimes can be so appealing, right? But we really need to look at you and and your body. So um, I, how I work with clients, we always start with foundations first, right? Mm -hmm. We have to make sure you're eating enough, eating good quality foods. Again, that Mm -hmm. energy balance, right? Are you overly stressed, over exercising? things like that, or even not moving enough, even Mm -hmm. if we're not moving enough, that can be really stressful on our body. So we want to identify those things first. And then supplements, I think can be um, kind of a bridge. So Mm. let's say uh, someone's having a really hard time preparing meals. They're uh, still working right on reducing Mm -hmm. that stress and setting aside time to nourish themselves as well. Sometimes supplements can just kind of be that buffer to help mm. replenish those nutrients. Um, I always say supplements are supplemental. Uh, they're a mm. therapeutic tool. And so whenever I'm prescribing supplements, I always am very clear. Is this just to bridge the gap? Is this something mm. to maintain your health, right? Or specifically like women who have PCOS, mm-hmm. is this actually very unique to women with PCOS and can help yeah. keep yourself, um, your symptoms at bay uh, mm. for a lifetime? So again, we have to say, why are we taking this supplement? How long? Mm. How does it actually fit your unique hormonal mm-hmm. profile? And how is it fitting alongside nutrition and lifestyle changes? Yeah, I love how you say that. Cause it's, yeah, it's looking at the individual person first to see like, do we even need the supplement? Are you eating enough? Is your exercise in a good place that like, once we continue developing those habits, we won't need these extra supplements or do we need that? I, I love the analogy of kind of like bridging the gap. Cause I think it's so easy to just like throw on all these supplements and one that's so expensive, but also it's like, okay, are we even absorbing all of that? if we don't need it. So then are we, again, just wasting money? Um, But yeah, I mean, it's so easy. I think it's easy to see branding. Like you said, I'm like such a sucker for good branding. So I'm like, oh, I want to take that. Like that's in a like cute bottle. And just seeing, I think in this like era of like influencer culture and, and all these companies partnering with different influencers and selling all these shakes and supplements, it's easy of like, Ooh, like I love all the stuff she does. Like, okay, I'll, I'll drink this juice that she's drinking or I'll take this supplement. And some of it sure might not be doing harm, but it's also like, does your individual body actually need that? Or are you kind of just basically like peeing out what you're not absorbing? (laughs) Like, which I think a lot of people don't realize too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think people also don't realize how powerful supplements can be, right? Mm, Just because they're not written as a prescription and you can get Mm. it over the counter does not mean that it does not significantly impact your body. I mean, I see a lot of people who are taking, you know, high amounts of say like iron or zinc, Mm. or again, these hormone balancing supplements. And we look at their hormonal profile and these supplements are just you know, really burdening their body, mm. burdening the liver, burdening yeah. uh, their their natural detox pathways. And so mm. again, it's easy to assume, well, what's the harm, right? This influencer mm-hmm. is taking it. I can buy it off the shelf, but our body requires balance. And if we're mm-hmm. taking all these supplements and it's further putting things out of balance, then again, mm-hmm. we're doing more harm than good. Yeah. Like probably putting more stress on our body. So actually exactly. not 
helping in the long run. Mm-hmm. So then to talk on PCOS real quick, because I know that's an area you kind of specialize in, which obviously overlaps with this conversation of hormones. Um, but for people listening who maybe are diagnosed with PCOS, um, or I guess actually first for people listening who maybe are like, what is PCOS? How would you answer that question? Hmm. Yeah, so PCOS stands for uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, the name is a bit of a misnomer because it sounds like you have cysts on your ovaries. Mm-hmm. And although one of the diagnostic criteria is via ultrasound, you kind of see these, uh, what they call like a string of pearls and they look mm-hmm. like cysts. They're really just fluid filled sacs, fluid filled, partially developed follicles. Um, so that's one thing I always like to start off on. People think, oh my gosh, I have cysts on my ovaries. Cysts yeah. are actually very different than PCOS. Mm-hmm. So in order to be diagnosed with PCOS, you need to meet two out of three criteria, um, irregular periods, Mm -hmm. um, androgenic symptoms. So that's like a hair loss, Mm -hmm. facial hair growth, hair growth on your chest or your belly, Mm -hmm. um, acne. Those are all androgenic symptoms. And then Mm -hmm. the criteria that I mentioned earlier, which is the appearance of polycystic ovaries via Mm -hmm. ultrasound. So if you meet two out of those three criteria, then you get the official diagnosis of PCOS. Mm -hmm. However, I say, you know, people get that diagnosis and then it's like, now what? Right. It's like, yeah, that's great. It's, you know, maybe it's relieving to get that diagnosis. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes there's a kind of a mourning period with that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, But the experience of PCOS is so much more complex than those three criteria. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can have major mood swings, you can have period problems, um, fertility issues, right? If you're not having Mm -hmm. regular periods. Um, so many women struggle with strong cravings. Um, there's mm-hmm. a higher prevalence of eating disorders and disordered yeah. eating in women with PCOS. And so all these things, right, very often aren't addressed when they're getting diagnosed with PCOS. And so they go mm-hmm. home feeling more frustrated, feeling like, okay, I have this diagnosis, but what do I do with mm-hmm. all these symptoms? So that's really how I support women to say, Hey, like I get it. These symptoms are real and they're disruptive. Let's see what we can do to get you back in balance and feeling yourself. again. Mm. Yeah. That's so helpful. Cause I think from some of the clients I've seen who've been diagnosed with PCOS, a lot of what they've heard probably from, you know, a random flyer that the nurse or doctor gave them is all around like eat less sugar and exercise more. And that's it. Like just kind of like sitting them on their way. Or I think like taking metformin, like just like giving them like a random medication when it's like, there's so much deeper, like PCOS, we're kind of seeing the surface. So it's like, okay, well, what can we change at the root to really help alleviate these symptoms instead of putting a bandaid on? Or maybe it's coming again from this kind of like fat phobic standpoint of like, oh, well, you probably need to just like exercise more, eat less sugar when that's probably dismissing so much of what's actually going on. 100%. I would say the biggest struggle that Uh, women with PCOS that I work with have is their weight. And I think that's partially driven by culture, partially driven by what their doctors are telling them. Right. And it just, Mm -hmm. gosh, it just irks me so bad when people are prescribed weight loss. Cause I think it's just, you know, lazy medicine. It's like, oh my gosh, we're just like looking at someone's body. We're not even looking at the complexity of their experience and their unique Mm -hmm. hormonal profile. We're just saying, Hey, 
eat less, move more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say the women that I'm working with who have PCOS are probably the hardest working women. Like they mm-hmm. can restrict night, like no other, oh, they yeah. can like <laughs> exercise and be themselves at the yes. gym, like no other. And they're still struggling with their weight. And then their doctor mm-hmm. assumes that they're just eating too much sugar or eating too much. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the the work that I do with clients is just kind of that, that being that advocate of, Hey, mm-hmm. like, I know you're working hard. These things are probably not the things that are going to help move the needle in your PCOS. In fact, they may be making your symptoms worse. So let's kind of totally. rewrite this whole narrative and this approach because you know, it's not working. I know it's mm-hmm. not working. And so let's stop kind of, um, just doing the same thing right over mm-hmm. and over again. Yes. Yes. Cause yeah, it's like giving this kind of generic eat less, move more when in reality, that's not even like touching the surface or like you said, some of the people that may be talking to already are doing both of those things. And so they actually maybe kind of need to do the opposite of like, let's move less and eat more. And maybe that's actually going to help. Um, so it's, yeah, seeing the like individual versus like, oh yeah, PCOS here's just like the general standard that everyone needs to do. Definitely. Yeah. And especially with PCOS, right? Weight is not the problem. It Mm -hmm. is one of the many symptoms that we talked Mm -hmm. about earlier. And so Mm -hmm. I love, you know, putting that in the appropriate category because we can get so caught up with treating weight as the problem. But when Mm -hmm. we just see it as another symptom, like Mm -hmm. the acne, like the mood swings, like the period problems, then that opens up the opportunity for us to really actually start asking the right questions of, okay, mm. what are those compensatory mechanisms in the body that are mm-hmm. happening, trying yeah. to protect you, trying to preserve energy, trying to do its best to help you mm. thrive. And then that's when we actually start seeing symptoms resolve over time. Totally. And yeah, I think it's all in how we like talk about weight of like, okay, this is a symptom. This is showing us there is something going on. And if we happen to lose weight, making these changes, that's just like a side effect of these changes versus weight loss being this like primary goal of like, okay, we need to do these certain things. And then your weight's going to result, like go down. But then it's like, what if we aren't even touching any of the actual things that are going on versus like, okay, we've done all these changes that need to happen. And if your weight does move, whether up, down, or just stay the same, then we can know, hey, this is where your body just naturally is going to settle because we know we're kind of checking all these boxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And I think it's really important to have those conversations when mm-hmm. we're talking about weight because I actually have a lot of women who are afraid to talk about weight, like yeah. it's bad to talk about their weight or bad to want Mm. to lose weight. Um, and yet they're feeling all these symptoms are feeling sluggish. They're Mm. feeling fatigued. And so we can talk about this kind of understanding of the body symptom wise and Mm. talking about weight in that context. And I think it just kind of relieves that pressure of either having to be fully in pursuit of weight loss or Mm -hmm. to like love and accept their body all the time. It's like, Hey, you can ebb and flow with that in the healing process. And a lot of the healing process is kind of ebbing and flowing with emotions that Mm. come with it as well, while you're seeing a resolution in those physiological symptoms. Mm, Yes. That's so good. Cause I, I do see that as such a like misunderstood area within this just general, like intuitive eating kind of like body respect realm of yeah, either you're like, you're not supposed to talk about weight at all, or you have to just have kind of this like 
inauthentic, like, oh, I just love my body. It's great. When in reality, it's like, okay, let's talk about weight. Like I'd rather have a conversation than you go do some like quick fix or again, listen to your doctor and just eat less and move more. And we'll probably see that it's so much more than the weight. And again, weight loss may be a side effect, but like, that's not the primary thing that time has been focused on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom in that too. I'd say when we are able to have that conversation, most women have experience under the belt of, Hey, I've tried that before. I've tried just focusing on weight loss and I didn't get my period back. I didn't Mm -hmm. see my acne go away. So Mm -hmm. let's try something new. But I think it's just Mm -hmm. that fear, right. Of letting go of what's familiar. I think that's so parallel with what we talked about earlier with like letting go of like intense exercise Mm -hmm. and for us to kind of feel safe in that transition Mm -hmm. and to say, Hey, it's okay to try something new. Um, and it can feel scary. It can feel uncomfortable, but again, doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm. And especially when there's like a medical diagnosis thrown in the mix, I think that can add a deeper level of fear. And even if it is like, Hey, my doctor said to do this and now I'm coming to this dietitian and they're kind of telling me to do the opposite. Like this feels scary. Um, so I think also, yeah, meeting the client where they're at of like, yeah, this makes sense. It is scary. And this is different than what you've tried before, but what if this actually does work? Cause maybe what you tried before didn't help. Um, but yeah, I think it's all in that, like, gentle and kind of curious approach and recognizing the fear that the client may have to. Yeah. I so appreciate having that conversation, even within like the, the conversation of intuitive eating and hormone health, because I mean, at the end of the day, right. All these concepts are great. These principles are great. Mm -hmm. But when you're in a room with a woman who's having a hard time and struggling like that, that conversation about fear and acceptance and safety mm-hmm. is so key. Oh yes, totally. Well, Isabel, thanks so much for taking time for this conversation. Um, I know I really enjoyed it. So I can assume our listeners are going to really enjoy it, learn a lot from it. For people listening who maybe want to learn more from you or hearing kind of everything you're describing, or like, gosh, I want to learn more. I want to, you know, potentially work with her. How, where can they find you? Yeah. So um, I'm on social at Womenwise Nutrition. Um, I also um, have a website, womenwisenutrition.com. And uh, I have tons of resources on there, one for PCOS, one for kind of mm-hmm. general understanding of hormones. Um, mm-hmm. And I would also work with clients individually as well as within mm-hmm. a group context. So depending on what uh, maybe a potential listener is mm-hmm. seeking, um, I think some people thrive in kind of that one-on-one setting. They, they totally. like that uh, support and some people love that community aspect. Um, Mm -hmm. those are two different services that I offer as well. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again. Um, yeah, this was a really great conversation. Thanks so much for joining today's episode on the free method podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review that helps others discover this message of freedom. Share this with your friends and make sure you tag us on Instagram at free method nutrition. And if you're ready to start your own journey to freedom, I'd love to offer you a free call to chat with me about your health goals. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash free call to schedule yours. We will see you in the next episode.